Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. You hear that? report there from Maria Chaleos where Delaware has now been added to the list of states considered to be a super high threat risk level midnight according to New York State and that if you visit New York State from Delaware uh, you got to quarantine yourself for two weeks that is also the case and it has been for a while uh, with us here in Utah if you as a Utah travel out to New York you uh, are required at least by rule of the governor uh, Andy Cuomo, who spoke last night, coincidentally, during the DNC convention, uh, you need to declare yourself and you need to isolate uh, quarantine for 14 days. Now, uh, you hear me mention New York from time to time, a place where I did a little bit of growing up. Uh, I have a lot of family that lives there still, and uh, I am so frustrated each time I am re- reminded of that quarantine rule because it is for that rule uh, that I've been unable to to see uh, much of my family and that they have been unable to visit me. Uh, the, the disturbance to their life returning from Utah should they visit me here uh, would just be too great. And so what's that mean for my little baby daughter? She has a, a good chunk of her family she has yet to meet now going into her 10th month of life. Uh, anyway, just random complaints, and we all have them, right? We have all been thrown uh, through a loop here with this uh, COVID. Now, just before the break, we were talking uh, with a friend of mine from the Farm Bureau about how uh, the coronavirus has showed up in uh, a mink farm, a pair of them here in Utah. And as a result of that, I became more familiar with the tracking mechanisms in place right now by the United States Department of Agriculture, specifically the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. Uh, This service, uh, as required by law, maintains a listing of all of the animals to test positive for the coronavirus. It's part of some uh, global agreement where uh, we uh, report emerging diseases to the World Organization for Animal Health. Uh, And so uh, this listing here on the USDA website is a fulfillment of that requirement. The information contained is fascinating. At the bottom of the list, the most recent animals, of course, uh, two instances here on farm mink farms here in Utah. And then uh, there's about 20 uh, cats and dogs here across the country. And then at the top of the list, the very first uh, non-human to contract the coronavirus here in the state of Utah. Do you remember this one? This one goes back all the way to April. Yeah, all, all the way to April, this one happened uh, in New York, New York City specifically. Yeah, uh, a, a tiger. Remember, the, the, the tiger contracted the coronavirus. Later on, uh, about a week and a half later, a lion 
would contract the coronavirus, and then it'd be cats and dogs for a while. But this is what jumped out to me. Did you know? Did you know that there was a, a cluster of a, of animal infections of the coronavirus here in Utah uh, just under a month ago? Yeah, July 22nd, the USDA here is reporting uh, that at least four, five, six, at least, at least uh, four cats and three dogs here in the state of Utah uh, contracted the coronavirus. I had no idea. I want to know. I, I, I so badly want to know how you go about now. The 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 way you know they thought maybe we should be testing these animals. Uh, the, it was clear that these animals were living in homes where uh, the coronavirus was present, where there were family members, uh, caregivers, owners <laughs> who had the coronavirus. And so the, the animals were tested, and lo and behold, uh, positive. Anyway, uh, it's just interesting, uh, interesting that this resource uh, exists. And I'm going to refresh day to day and see uh, if it grows on this front. The animal transmission of the coronavirus is a big, giant question mark. Uh, in this whole deal. It is not an area where we have been able to spend uh, much time just due to sample size. And of course, we're dealing with it uh, moving from human to human right now. But as this list, uh, which includes, it's got to be two, maybe three dozen animals having contracted the coronavirus. uh, Let's just hope that this list doesn't grow because that would add a whole new element of challenge to our battle against this coronavirus. All right, a few minutes left, and I want to talk to you about a story that caught my eye from the other day. And it has to do with uh, long-term care facilities and nursing homes. We know from looking at the data each day uh, that this is a place that needs extra special protection because those who reside in these facilities are uh, extra vulnerable. Uh, in fact, it's been the case, and we've understood this to be the case from the, the very beginning. In fact, here in the early days of the pandemic here in Utah, Dr. Angela Dunn, a uh, state epidemiologist, uh, she at that point said that half the deaths in the state were still, uh, were at that point, happening in long-term care facilities. And this number, while tragic, it could be a lot higher, as we have seen in other states where a single long-term care facility outbreak has resulted in more deaths than this. And well, unfortunately, she was right. It did get worse. It spread to other care facilities, and it is really making us, forcing us to take a step back and reevaluate the future of facilities like this. I'll explain what I mean in just a moment, but here on that same day back in April, uh, Dr. Dunn uh, goes on to thank those working in long-term care facilities throughout the state. Here are her thanks, and then we'll get to the impact. Our Utah long-term care facility staff have been preparing since early January to quickly identify any COVID-19 cases and limit the spread in their their residences. And they are doing a great job. And I really want to recognize the long-term care facility staff out there whose job is more stressful now than ever, and yet so important to protecting this very vulnerable population. They're protecting not only the health of their residents, but also their mental health well-being as families aren't allowed to visit. So thank you to all of the long-term care facility staff out there who are essential in this response. Absolutely. I I have family members in facilities just like this, and those who are lending them aid and rendering their care, they are the true heroes. They are keeping our family together and alive, and I couldn't be more grateful. Though there is a crisis on the horizon, it is not cheap. It is not cheap to maintain the level of precaution required to keep these places safe. And we know that a vaccine, 
uh, can make its way through here, uh, and it can be approved, it can be distributed, and it can be injected into those who need it uh, with only a 50% uh, efficacy rate. What's that mean? Uh, we're not going to ever totally get this thing under control, which means that nursing homes will continue to be vulnerable, which means that precautions will continue to be uh, taken. And those precautions will continue to incur expense and may trickle down to uh, the cost of residing in one of these facilities. Now, what does this all mean? It means that you and I may, in the near future, need to look at our own circumstances, our own finances, and our own feelings and abilities when it comes to the elderly and our own family. Because we may be soon looking towards a scenario where we need to uh, be essentially uh, offering long-term care in our own homes to those we love. It's a thought that I have had uh, top of mind very seriously for some time. Uh, there are some folks in my family, uh, and none of us are getting any younger. And so to be ready for that and to be aware that it may be coming, uh, would be absolutely uh, prudent. So hopefully we're able to avoid that. Hopefully through innovation uh, and science we're able to uh, maintain the cost as it stands now. But if it goes much higher, we're going to have to make some decisions. All right, that is it for me. I am so grateful to you for hanging out with me today. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Live Mike. Tonight we'll be uh, hearing from the Democrats again, uh, night two. That'll do it. <laughs>